Good morning. I'm Angela Davis, and you're listening to NPR News. Thank you for joining us today. Are you dealing with some family drama right now? Our family members can be our biggest source of strength, but some of them can also be a huge drain on our mental health. You can't easily walk away from a sibling or parent, an uncle, aunt, or a child who causes you pain and conflict. And if you do, that hurt can linger for years. So how do we stop the family drama or at least learn to cope with it? How can we identify unhealthy family patterns and make choices that protect us, break the cycle of hurt, and then heal? Let's get some advice. This hour, you'll hear from the author of a book called Drama Free, a guide to managing unhealthy family relationships. It's written by therapist Nedra Glover-Tawab, who also wrote a book a couple of years ago about setting boundaries and learning to say no. It became a New York Times bestseller. And here in the studio with me this morning, I have two therapists who work here in Minnesota. We'll hear from them and take your phone calls. The phone lines are open. So are you tired of family drama? What family relationships are dragging you down or causing you pain? How do you see yourself repeating patterns you learned as a child with the people you're close to today? And what has made things better? I want to hear your stories. You can call us at 651 651- Two two seven six thousand. Again, the number is six five one two two seven six thousand, or call us at eight hundred two four two twenty eight twenty eight. Up first, my conversation with Nedra Glover Tawab. She's a licensed therapist and a relationship expert who lives and practices in Charlotte, North Carolina. I talked to her a few days ago. Good morning, Nedra. Thank you so much for making time for us. I really appreciate it. You're welcome. I'm so happy to be here. So, Nedra, I interviewed you uh, when your first book came out a couple of years ago. It's called Set Boundaries, Find Peace. It helped me and I know a lot of other people figure out really how to protect our joy. So thank you for that. And I want to know what led you to focus now this uh, second book, Drama Free, on dealing specifically with unhealthy family relationships. After writing Set Boundaries, Find Peace, people found it so very helpful. But one of the biggest challenge areas that many expressed was with family. How do we set these boundaries with families? When you're from a unhealthy, dysfunctional, or difficult family, or you have these difficult family members, even when you've done a lot of work through therapy and self-help, It can be really challenging to be assertive, to speak up for yourself, and to address some of these long patterns in family. So Mm drama-free was really birthed from a need for more work around people who have difficult family members. And the challenge often, too, with family members is that we see sort of the the bad behavior, if you want to call it, it repeat itself. And uh, unless, you know, there is some work done, because you talk about you got to do the work, uh, you can really never be free uh, of the pain that you may be experiencing. Yes, but the work is on you. It's not on those family members. So if you are reading Drama Free, I want you to know that the book is for you. It is not for you to develop these magical powers of changing people. (laughs) The power is in changing yourself in those relationships, being realistic about your expectations of other people, and certainly standing up for yourself in those relationships. It can be much easier for us to just have people change, right? But it's also not what typically happens. If that were the case, I wouldn't have a book. 
So (laughs) what typically happens is people continue to be themselves over and over in different settings and different Mm -hmm. seasons in your house and my house and all over the place. They will be themselves. (laughs) And what we have to do is say, hey, this is how we can have a relationship. Or if you decide because it is an option for you to maybe end that relationship. And and there's some fallout from that, dealing with the family who don't understand, dealing with people in general who are like, oh my gosh, but it's your mom, it's your sister. So in this book, there is support for many ways of dealing with unhealthy relationships. Now, in your work uh, as a therapist, have you found that many of your clients, that they bring their unhealed family trauma into new relationships they have as adults with with both romantic partners, but also with co-workers? Yes, it shows up all over the place. Certainly in romantic relationships, that's where we see the bigger issues because you're with your partner, you know, most of the time or daily. You see it in your parenting Mm -hmm. style. Sometimes it's, you know, making the decision to not be a parent, right? As a result of growing up with chaotic relationships. And sometimes people are continuing the chaos. Certainly in work relationships, you may see it where, oh my gosh, I, I don't like when people talk to me a certain way. And I'll ask someone, you know, why do you think this person is being aggressive with you? They're just like my father. That's how my father would talk to me. It's like, well, he's not at work. Is it possible that um, you are misplacing some of these beliefs around being, you know, abused or having someone speak to you a certain way? And if it is the case that this is happening, how do we address it professionally? You know, maybe it's not remaining silent. Maybe it's saying, you know, hey, you get a little loud sometimes in meetings, but we have to be aware of what our stuff is to even address it with other people Mm -hmm. to say that, oh, you know, there's a certain tone of voice that scares me. When I hear a person getting, you know, to this level, I get a little scared because it reminds me of this. Now, you may not need that person to change that. But you need to be aware of that, that, oh, this is my stuff coming up. I am not in danger. This is not that situation. This is really my response to something that happened in the past with mm-hmm. someone else. That awareness is so powerful. And that is what is freeing. That That's what creates the, the drama free that you talk about. Mm-hmm. So one of the things I love about this book, Drama Free, is that you provide lots and lots of examples of behavior, behavior that is harmful. And then you explain why it's a problem and how to address it. How do we address it? So I want to talk about some of the unhealthy behavior that's very common in families and the impact. Uh, well, early on, you talk about boundary violations. So people who aren't really familiar with boundaries and boundary violations, uh, how do you describe what that is? Well, a violation is when you've clearly stated something and people refuse to respect or respond to what has been stated. So if you say to someone, um, please don't, you know, say those things to me about my sister. You know, I want to have a separate relationship. I don't want to, you know, blur our lines because you have an issue with this person and they continue to do it. They are now violating your boundary because it's been clearly stated to the other person. Mm-hmm. In families, there's this idea that the culture is what we create and not what I create. But I believe that culture is first. 
um, you know, it's in our community. And then we have a decision on how we want to create our own internal and then external culture. Mm-hmm. And so for you, if your boundary is this, even if the family is saying, well, I'm going to talk about this as many times as I want to, you could say, oh, okay, well, here is my perspective. And it's not changing the other person. The behavior could be when they start to talk about it, you change the topic. When they start to talk about this other person, you say, hey, you know, I asked you not to talk about this. I'm going to walk away and grab some water and, you know, I'll come back and maybe we could start on a different topic. Mm -hmm. It's you doing something different. It's not trying to change this person. It can be very powerful to change yourself and, and, in an interaction, that's something we really underestimate. We think, oh my gosh, they'll never listen to me. They'll never change this. Well, if you're consistently engaging in a different behavior with this person, guess what? They will change. It changes things. Yeah. It you- changes things. You, They haven't changed at all, but the situation has changed because of what you're doing differently. Mm-hmm. You dig into sibling relationships a lot and, and how they can become very complicated as people get older and become adults. It is very common for relatives to still treat each other the way they did when they were kids or young adults and, and then, you know, not acknowledge um who people are today. So what should we be aware of when it comes to these adult sibling relationships and the harm that can can happen from words and actions? Mm. One of the things that I think is really important for listeners is if you are a parent, find a way to validate and also stay out of the dispute. We can validate when something is wrong without taking a side like, oh, that was unfair. Oh my gosh. Yeah. People shouldn't hit you. But when people are adults, parents have a tendency to try to mediate because they're still in that space of wanting everyone to get along. And now everyone's an adult and they get to choose if they get along. You know, they're not in your house. They get some autonomy around how they want to be in relationships with siblings. So parents have to make a decision to not over respond to the sibling relationships. Now, between siblings, it's really important to get to the root cause of the issue. There is resentment in sibling relationships. There may be some ideas around favoritism. There may be an inability to see a person as no longer being the baby in the family or no longer relying on this person because they're the oldest. So as adults, you may have to do some shape-shifting. You will have to change what those roles look like. And there may be some conversations that are tough. You know, I think for older siblings, what I've heard is, you know, my siblings still expect me to host the holidays. They still expect me to plan the trips. They still call me Mm -hmm. instead of our parents when this issue happens in their life. And the work there is to work yourself out of the role as the the co-parent, right? Mm-hmm. Like you're you're not the co-parent. We're we're all adults here. There's a mm-hmm. two-year difference. We all work with somebody who's a y- little younger than us. They're an adult. They can do their job. This person, this sibling, they can also live their life. Now you have to step away and let them know that you trust them to figure it out. You know, hey, this year we haven't done this before, but I'm willing to do something different. How about we host at your house? I'll bring some sides and you prepare the main thing and some desserts. 
So you have to be willing to relinquish the control of whatever your role has been in the family. If you're the youngest, you have to be willing to not be taken care of, you know, in some instances. Mm -hmm. So when it is causing a problem for you and other people in the family, it's very important to one, change your behavior and sometimes to have that conversation with the other person and let them know, hey, you're going to see something different here. This is what I will start to do. Um, I want to talk about another important uh, challenge that, that you write about in the book. You talk about addiction and how addiction affects an entire family. And so what's important to note about, you know, drug use and excessive alcohol use and how it affects family relationships? Addiction impacts not just the person with the problem, but every single individual within the family. We see that with the development of coping skills. You know, many people who observe addiction also have challenges with addiction. Why? Because we are teaching coping skills. When you have a bad day, when you have a tough moment, when you're mad, when you're sad, we are teaching you know, through behavior, how to respond to things. Um, the challenge with addiction in, in unhealthy families is people don't talk about it. It's almost this thing that is like very secret. It's look away. A thing that's a, yeah. Look away. It's ignored. It's not that bad. Oh my gosh, this person, they're, they're high and they just fell down. Let's just ignore them instead of addressing the issue. I have talked to a few families where um, there is some addiction challenge and people are on the same page about it. Like, you know, these are the boundaries we'll have at this family event. This is, these are the things we'll do. This is where this person can fit into this space. It's not about, oh, you can't have a relationship with this person. It's more about how can I have a relationship with a person who has a challenge with substances? Mm -hmm. Another family dynamic you address in the book uh, is being raised by grandparents. And this this was my situation growing up. You talk about uh, the sense of loss and abandonment that these kids can carry for a lifetime. And that is certainly something I identify with. So tell us more about that and why you want to highlight that in the book, Drama Free? Well, I've worked for years with people who have been raised by grandparents, and I've seen a lot of people not necessarily go through foster care and adoption into those situations, but mostly um, this sort of communal adoption of you will live with your aunt, you will live with, you know, so and so grandparent, and the parent is still somewhere in the picture. And this individual knows that although my grandmother loves me, although my grandfather loves me or my honor, whoever, mm -hmm. you know, the responsibility of me being raised relies on my parents, my mother and father. So there is still this need that is missing even when you're being loved unconditionally by these other people because innately we know that responsibility is not on these family members. It is really on the the people who produced us. Right. And so there is a sense of loss. There is this sense of, you know, maybe feeling detached. Now, again, and, you know, with some therapy, with, with some support, with some help, we can certainly start to reshape what this looks like in our lives. But there is a sense of loss in that relationship. 
part three of your book, Nedra, talks about growing. Um, So the chapters have great titles. Troubleshooting with parents, troubleshooting with siblings, uh, troubleshooting with children. And also extended family, navigating in-laws, managing blended families. You you get into all of it, uh, identifying situations, but also step by step. Here are some tools for you so that you can can feel like you're living a drama-free life. And so that was important for you as well is to give people like there's a pathway. There's a way to do this. There are so many books that are problem focused. Your parent Mm -hmm. is emotionally neglectful. Your parent is absent. You've been abandoned. And that's great information. But what do we do with the information? Right. Each relationship might need a different set of skills. My relationship with my mother may not have the challenges that it might have with my siblings. And so in that part of the book, I thought it was very important to kind of pull those things out and talk about them as unique sort of relationships. Mm. And I want to make sure people know that they can can find you and hear your words of wisdom uh, every day because you have, an, have an, an outstanding Instagram account where just daily you're providing videos and, and, and information advice. So tell us about what, how we can experience you on Instagram. Yes. On Instagram, I have a lot of free resources around mental health and relationships and boundaries. It is updated quite often. Also on my website, you will find some quizzes, my books and worksheets to help you through some things. So it is really important for me to have free resources and to also have spaces in in a variety of ways where people can receive some support. And we still are dealing with, even though many more people are now getting help from therapists, um, there's still, you know, an access to therapists you know, problem. So you in many ways are trying to, again, make this information available to as many people as possible. Yes. And not only is there an access problem, I think we have to realize that everybody won't go to therapy mm-hmm. and their access point might be Instagram. Their access point might be a website. Their access point might be um, a meditation coach. Everyone is not interested in therapy, but it doesn't mean that they are not interested in therapeutic tools and information. Oh, well, Nedra, I'm going to let you go because I know you have clients to see. Thank you so much for your time. And, and I want to remind our listeners uh, that the title of the new book is Drama Free, A Guide to Managing Unhealthy Family Relationships. And you'll find it uh, on Amazon. You can also find it on Audible and you can listen to Nedra uh, narrate the book. Again, Nedra Glover-Tawab, thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you for having me again. Our conversation about family drama continues now with two therapists who are here in the studio with me who work here in Minnesota. And we're going to hear about what they're doing to help clients unravel complicated family relationships. Here with me this morning, we have Larissa Hooper, who is the founder of Therapies Counseling in St. Paul. She's a licensed marriage and family therapist and a licensed alcohol and drug counselor as well. Thanks for coming in, Larissa. Good to see you. Thanks for having us. Hi. And next to her is her colleague, Chanel Winnell, who is also with Therapies Con- Counseling. She is a licensed associate marriage and family therapist and specializes in helping people heal from trauma, including neglect and abuse. 
abuse. Good morning to you, Chanel. Good morning. Thanks for having us. As I talk with my guests, to our, our listeners, I want you to know I want to hear from you too. The phone lines are open. We want to talk with you about what you're going through. Are you tired of family drama? What relationships are dragging you down or causing you pain? And how do you see yourself maybe repeating some patterns that you learned as a child with people you're close to today? What has made things better for you? You can call us at 651-227-6000 or call 800-242-2828. We already have listeners uh, on the line, but I want to start by talking with you, Larissa. You and I have known each other for 15 years, but when I met you, you were in a different career. Uh, Tell me about your decision to become a therapist and then, you know, start a business that brings together a group of therapists, uh, therapies. Why did you want to do this? Thanks, Angela. So I decided in the second half of my life to become a therapist, I think, because I wanted to find a career where I was able to use my heart, but still have impact. And so what that meant for me was like, how can I connect with people? How can I help people learn about themselves and about others, and be able to witness them through their journey and growth and be able to hold space for difficult things. And so it was kind of a natural progression for me. A friend once pointed it out uh, a few years before I went back to school and I thought about it and I was either going to go get a law degree or I was going to go be a therapist. And ultimately, I decided I needed to be able to use my heart and my work. So let's talk about the difference in seeking out a therapist for help with um, unhealthy family relationships uh, rather than going to a friend, rather than going to maybe a member of the clergy. How can a therapist experience be helpful uh, when dealing with some really personal family drama? Sure. That's a great question. So what I would say is that um, the first thing is, is that uh, we are governed by confidentiality rules. So it is a safe space, first and foremost, to be able to talk about those things that are often um, stigmatizing or shaming or um, in the family you don't talk about. Right, exactly. And so um, not having to worry about who's hearing what of your business and those sorts of things is a is a huge reason why people come to therapy. Also, um, we are trained uh, to deal with things like family systems. So we have a lot of background mm-hmm. in um, how those things develop and, and how, how people uh, grow and learn based off of their family of origin and how those things can complicate who we end up becoming and the things we end up struggling with. Because you can lean on research and training and what we know, you know previously has helped people. Right. Past exactly. Chanel, tell me about the people who come in to see you. Um, and I, I understand that you've developed a, a, a very um, a specific focus helping many parents who have strained relationships with teenage or, or adult children. Yeah. Um, I don't know how I funneled into this area, probably through multisystemic therapy, where Larissa and I both worked with really complicated cases that engaged kind of all systems to help support kids that are struggling with mental health issues. Um, the people that come in to see me, I would say, have a long standing history of complex trauma, which means it's probably been happening for generations and being passed down for generations. Mm-hmm. So in particular, I work with a lot of clients with gun violence um, in the home and a lot of like pretty severe mental illness. That makes it very complicated to set boundaries because not only are those children, whether they're teens or young adults, at risk in the home, but they're also probably more at risk out of the home. Mm-hmm. And so helping families navigate boundaries around that can be really complex. You know, I I love uh, Nedra's book, but when she talked about how there's not a lot of things that 
that always talk about solving the problems. I think because the individual problems can be so nuanced. Right. Mm -hmm. And you really have to know who you're talking to and you really have to understand the dynamics of what they're facing before you try to help them set boundaries. Mm -hmm. So if I have a parent with a child with schizophrenia and I'm like, oh, they need to be out of the home or they're not safe or they're not going to end treatment or they're refusing or running away. I have to be aware that there's a really high risk for that child being put out of the home, you know, a young adult child or bipolar, let's say, or even addiction Um, or clients that are dealing with gun violence. Their kid is at risk in the home and they're putting the home at risk. But if they have a history of being shot at or being having been shot, how much more at risk are they outside of the home? And so now you're trying to help parents navigate situations where it's like, okay, there could be something really negative that happens in the home with this child being here, but also their child could have a high risk of having a fatal situation outside of the home. So each case is very complicated. Very complex. So um, we heard Annette talk about boundaries, um, but, you know, what has been your uh, experience in watching people, you know, decide to set boundaries and then trying to, you know, you know, enforce them? I mean, it's hard. Very hard. Um, You know, I'm not going to talk about tools necessary with boundaries. I think what I'm going to do is validate the experience of how it can create a lot of grief, Mm. a lot of grief, a lot of loss. And what I refer to it with my clients um, as is a living loss. This person's alive, but you're having to cut off relationships with them in different realms or different areas or different ways you imagine parenting a child that maybe has mental illness. One of the things that I do use with my clients is to kind of help them lay out maybe sometimes a self uh, or a a false sense of control that they have, that they're controlling the situation. And we'll do we'll kind of look at the evidence. You know, when this kid is here and you're trying to manage every single thing in their life, are they still capable of getting themselves into Mm -hmm. these problems? And usually the answer is yes. And so now we're able to kind of like weigh out scales of, okay, if we change this, if we set a boundary, if we don't allow them in the home at maybe past midnight or past this time, um, what what's the impact of that going to look like? So we're doing a lot of work around kind of really looking at like the evidence of how their life has been going without these boundaries and what the impact has been with the boundaries being set. So you want people to be aware that with boundaries can come some some grief and loss. A ton of grief right. and loss. Right. A ton. Uh, I want to take some phone calls from our listeners. Uh, again, we're talking with two uh, therapists, and we're talking about unhealthy family relationships. How do I identify them and, and, and what you can do to improve them and protect yourself, uh, control how you react to them? Give us a call at 651-227-6000 if you have a question or a story to share, or you can call us at 800-242-2828. Let's uh, take a, a phone call from a listener in Minneapolis. Uh, Emilio is on the line. Good morning, Emilio. What do you want to share or ask? Oh, I have a problem with my little sister. Uh, she really enjoys drinking quite a bit. Uh, she was living with me and my other sister for the time being. And we try to get a control on her drinking because at some points it could be very excessive. Uh, but unfortunately, in our attempts to have her stop, she's kind of moved out and we haven't heard from her since in about a week or two. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious on how do you approach someone with a drinking problem at such a young age and how you're, you know, how do you approach that? Amelia, about how old is, is your little sister? Oh, she's 19. 19. And I can hear the, the love, but also the sorrow in your voice. You're worried about her. Oh, yeah. 
Yeah. Um, Larissa, what would you sh- say to Amelia? Yeah, I just want to say, first of all, that I um, have deep empathy for you and compassion. It's very difficult um, when someone has a substance use disorder. It um, impacts the entire family system. And so it's not uncommon that you will feel um, often helpless and unsure how to help that person. Um With that said, it really depends on the individual family system and how you approach it. Um, The biggest kind of takeaway I could maybe give is to learn as much as you can about the kind of addiction that she's possibly struggling with so that you understand um, the ins and outs and you can have compassion for her. Uh, She's probably um, harder on herself than anyone else could be on her. So a lot of times people need empathy and they need compassion because underneath addiction is always trauma. And so um, figuring out how she you can support her without it being detrimental to you and your other siblings is um, the best thing you could do for her. But being sure to approach it with compassion. Mm-hmm. Chanel, anything you would add? Um, You probably have experience of maybe it not going well with her living in the home. I'm assuming if you have had her be outside of the home. And so I think the other part is being really clear with your other sibling, what your boundaries are um, with your sister, because it can be easy to, to get pulled back in, but also understanding that some of this is hard to say. So you're going to carry the burden of it because it's a sibling, but it's also not yours to carry in terms of guilt with setting the boundary. And I know that that will be part of the process, like not having heard from her. Um, you may worry and put that back out on yourself. That would be a good space to talk with a therapist about of how to handle that, but also other supports like Al-Anon. Mm-hmm. Let's take another phone call from a listener, uh, this time in Rochester. Tony is on the phone. Hi. Um, I really appreciate you um, covering this this topic, I I felt like I needed to call to provide hope to people that are listening. Um, I have a daughter that has struggled with chemical dependency since she was a young teenager. And I had to set the boundary of um, if she was going to actively be using that we would not have any contact. Um, my background is that um, I have a parent that went through treatment when I was seven And then I ended up marrying someone that I discovered had an addiction. So my daughter had grown up in the recovery community. So she was aware of, you know, when I set that boundary, I had to turn it over to her being aware of where the resources were for her to get help. Um, When she was 15, I had to give up custody of her to the state of Minnesota to get her the residential chemical dependency mental health treatment that she needed. So we have a tough relationship um, through the years, but by setting that boundary, I'll give an example. I was sleeping one night, and there was a tap on my bedroom window, and my shade was drawn, and I couldn't see who that was, but I could hear the, a voice saying, Mom, I'm hungry. Please, can I get something to eat? And I had to tell her, no, it was my daughter. And this has been a couple years that I didn't know if she was alive or dead. Um, after that knock on the window and me setting that boundary and staying with that boundary of no, um, it was probably another year, year and a half before um, she ended up getting arrested and she was in jail. And she knew that if she was ready for recovery, that I would be there. 
And so that's where the turn in our relationship occurred. And she now has eight years in recovery and she's doing phenomenal things in our community with people that are struggling with addictions. And so setting those boundaries at times really needs, it's hard to do, but there can be some beauty out of that in the end. Oh, Tony, thank you um, for sharing that story. And, um, this is, um, it's hard to hear, and I can only imagine going through that. Uh, so Tony's example uh, of setting a boundary, but the grief and loss that comes with it, mm-hmm. what does that bring to mind for you, Chanel? Oh, I mean, this is like a day in the office. You know, I'm teary-eyed <gasps> oh, no. in here, and yeah. I told Angela I'd probably get emotional because I'm dealing with clients that are exactly where you're at in terms of, you know, or where, where you used to be at, where you didn't know if your child was dead or alive. And how do you sit in an office... Imagine. Mm-hmm. and support someone setting a boundary mm-hmm. and we're both mothers you know and not put yourself in their shoes and how difficult that is and so that's why i think having the support of community around you whether it's a therapist or alanon or resources or someone that's been through recovery is so important cuz they're going to know the intricacies of all that pain where someone who hasn't walked through it is not going to understand that and they're mm-hmm. going to throw out simple solutions for very complicated heartbreaking experiences. But Tony said she called in because she wanted to offer people some hope. Her daughter is is in recovery now. Um, What did you hear in that story? You know, I heard um, a mom who is on kind of the other side of things. Mm -hmm. And so um, she's got a great perspective. Um, If you would have interviewed her while her child was in active addiction, you probably would have heard a very different perspective. story and how she was feeling. And so it's, I hope that it offers hope to parents who are out there or family members who are out there that um, either have a parent or a sibling or a child that's struggling with addiction, that it can get better. Um, But it really depends on the individual and they have to want to be better. Mm -hmm. Uh, In some situations, I know that people consider um, you know, really pulling back or maybe even breaking off contact with family members entirely um, and, and not specifically because of an, an addiction issue. But what do you want people to know about pulling back and and, and maybe not feeling as though you're in, in enabling someone? Um, maybe the caution around that. Is there, you know, a fine line there or how is that addressed? Yeah, I think that's a good question um, that a lot of people struggle with, especially around the holidays. Um, so there are things that, you know, there are boundaries that I think are important to set for yourself. Um, and, and a reminder that boundaries are for you, not for the other person. Mm -hmm. And so, um, sometimes that can be hard to enforce, but if you're consistent with it, you will learn and adapt over time how to accept, um, your ability in, in relation to people. And so it's important to do that, um, especially when you have, family gatherings and things like that, where you may have somebody who's in addiction, um, just talking as a family about how do we support this person, but still spend time with them, but not enable them. Um, And so this is where therapy might be really helpful Mm -hmm. for a family. And Chanel, what would you say about if someone's on the, you know, thinking about, I just need to, you know, just separate from someone and just not have any contact because I, I, can't figure out how to make this work. Yeah. I think when it's necessary, it's necessary. Um, And that's where you're walking that journey, maybe with that person of walking through what that means, because sometimes that comes with other consequences. Like I've I've had clients that have decided to cut off all contact with children, which means then they lose contact with their grandchildren. 
Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. the big part of it is what is best for you? Why are you doing it? And, and why do you need it? Because it really is for you. But sometimes people have to make decisions to sacrifice their own well-being for more vulnerable people like grandchildren, you know. So it is the grandchildren no- may greatly benefit from having mm-hmm. you in their lives. Yeah. But in order to deal with the grandkids, you may have to tolerate unhealth from the other person, the middle person, if it's, mm-hmm. you know, a child or something. So, you know, I don't have any hardcore recommend- recommendations for it or against it. It's just really understanding what it's going to mean because – there's repercussions that come with it. But I can see the value of having um, a therapist, someone you can have an honest conversation yeah. with about yeah. it and just get it out of your head, but have someone with some some training that you can just confidentially share everything you're thinking. And do mm-hmm. you see people who sit in front of you have these moments of like just relief because they, they got it out. They got to tell someone how they're really feeling. Have you seen that, Larissa? Absolutely. So um, shame dies when stories are told. And so... <laughs> Um, one way that people really find relief in therapy is just talking about it, Mm -hmm. just being able to be open and honest and express how they're feeling without the shame and guilt. And that's really what a therapist does is hold space for you to be able to do that or for a family to be able to do that who's grieving the loss of a loved one. Um, And just that in itself can feel freeing for a lot of people. I want to take uh, more phone calls from listeners. If you're just joining us, we're talking about uh, family drama and unhealthy family relationships. And, you know, I want to hear your stories. Are you dealing with something that just feels really heavy and looking for some advice on how to, um, you know, get past the pain or, or difficult relationships with people in your family? Uh, what has made things better? What is, is still a problem? Call us at 651-227-6000 or 800 2828 I have two therapists uh, from Therapies in uh, Counseling in St. Paul in the studio with me, uh, talking with Chanel Winnell and Larissa Hooper uh, about uh, what people are dealing with uh, every day in many homes right now. Uh, in Minneapolis, let's take a phone call from Mike. Uh, Mike, what do you want to tell us as we uh, tackle this, this this topic? Hi, Angela. Thank you. Um, the timeliness of the, <laughs> of the subject is... Uh, impeccable um just yesterday uh in a thread with my siblings we have a thread on facebook we all write to call it the universe and uh we're we're on there talking about my brother who just got out of rehab this past week and he relapsed just two days two days ago i'm sorry and and uh yeah well it's just been so it's been so long that's been going and and I'm the oldest boy in a family of six. You know, our parents died when we were younger, so it's, you know, it's just us kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have spent years and years, you know, driving through alleyways searching for him because he goes through bouts of homelessness due to alcoholism. And, and uh, you know, it, it does, it shows up on the family as a whole as like an organism. You know, I've lost hair and lost weight and my sisters are always trying to tell me to you know you gotta <laughs> set boundaries and cut it off but it's hard you know and i got an 11 year old girl mm-hmm. who i have to i have to focus on mm-hmm. and but this is still my brother my baby brother so i just really appreciate what you guys are doing right mike. And appreciate the conversation and um so mike uh so much love you clearly have for your siblings and um and 
but you also realize that Mike has got to take care of Mike. You're, you're seeing that as well. Yeah, it's becoming pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Well, let's get some advice, Larissa and Larissa and Chanel. <laughs> I wish you could see their faces, Mike. Uh, they have uh, you know a lot of empathy for what you're going through. Yeah, I just want to say first that I'm I'm really sorry, and I I um, this is not uncommon with addiction, and that it it really impacts the family so deeply. Um, and in your case, not having those parents and probably being parentified at a very young age, mm-hmm. feeling responsible he's for the your oldest. brother. Yeah, he's yeah. the oldest. And I'm an only ch- oldest child as well, so I get that. Um, but I think, you know, that parentification, this is where seeing a therapist might be really beneficial so that you can process through um, the feelings of guilt that you have. Because um, ultimately, it's not your responsibility. Um, and, and you're kind of owning it and it's really important for you to take care of yourself because if you're not here, then you can't help your brother. And he mentioned he has an 11 year old child, right? Who probably needs you. And so she's also watching you and how you're dealing with this. And if Mm -hmm. you're taking care of yourself and she's taking cues from that too. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to make sure that you're doing what you would want your daughter to do. Mm -hmm. Chanel, anything you'd say to Mike? Yeah. Um, you know, talking with a client yesterday, we talked about that space between acceptance and hope mm-hmm. and the revolving door of sort of this radical acceptance of, you know, your sibling dealing with an addiction, but holding hope for them. And so moving towards some of that acceptance of what you know, what you've seen, what the patterns are, and finding boundaries for yourself within that could be really meaningful for you, but also holding, you know, holding that hope. And I think that work needs to be done in intimate relationships with people that know what you're going through um, and can hold that space for you. Let's uh, take a phone call. Another call from Minneapolis. This is Mary on the phone now. Mary, uh, good morning. Uh, We're talking about family drama. Uh, What can you tell us? Hi. Yeah. um, I think for me, especially with the listeners, I just wanted to recommend um, ACA and Alamon. And I know that your guests um, alluded to it a couple times, but it's just been so helpful for me. Um, I specifically go to ACA, which is Adult Children of Alcoholics, but it's also Adult Children of Alcoholics and um, Dysfunctional Families. So it doesn't necessarily have to be um, alcohol to go to these groups. Mm-hmm. So I just want people to know that. Um, also, there are so many different kinds of programs. Um, a lot of them do. Like when I thought of them, I just thought of alcohol. But there's so many different types of groups. Um, so I just want to put in a plug for that. and Support groups. Yeah, in a group setting. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. So thank you uh, to your guests and um, for yeah, the program it. work. Uh, so... Another option, I think I've done a talk show on this, uh, support groups where you can sit with a group of other people and, and again, share your stories. Mm-hmm. And, and are you finding that that is helpful to people also who may feel very isolated with what they're experiencing? Chanel? I think Elanon has been really helpful for my clients to to have people that are at different stages of the journey, even people that have had children or spouses that are actually in recovery. Um, that maintain that support because, as you can see with the with the previous caller, um, 
sometimes that relapse, it's, it can be a revolving door. And so it's this constant emotional roller coaster that people are going through where they think it's finally over, it's ended, we can mm-hmm. all move on and you know celebrate, and then there's a relapse. Mm-hmm. So having a group like Al-Anon where there's a lot of people at different stages of it can be really, really helpful. Support groups. Um, have you seen, um, Louisa, people say that that's been helpful to them? Absolutely. And there's different kinds of support groups. So Al-Anon is wonderful. Um, a lot of people find that um, that support invaluable. And then there's also <clears throat> other like parental support groups for people with adult children with addiction. Mm-hmm. Um, and I highly recommend if you can find a community that's supportive and understands addiction that you do that. And what did you say about just the, the value of just telling your story? You said that, that- – Shame dies when stories are told. Right. And um, it's, so it's really – it can be very helpful, especially in a in a support group setting, to even listen to other people's stories mm-hmm. and and not feel alone mm-hmm. and feel validated and get ideas. Um, because a lot of people have been dealing with it for a lot longer than you, and there'll be people mm-hmm. who are new to it, mm-hmm. and you may have something to offer them as well. We're talking about unhealthy family relationships and, and what can be done to, to help uh, get through it. Uh, in Minneapolis, Joey is on the phone. And Joey, what do you want to tell us? Well, I, I just wanted to share my experience is that I come from a very large family. And near the end of my mother's life, many of my siblings, and I think a lot of it was prompted by their spouses, couldn't come to her aid or wouldn't, I should say. I think they could have, but they chose not to mm-hmm. spend the time where she needed our help. And, and now that she's gone, there's just no conversation between me and most of them because I went ahead and chewed them out for their choices at that time. Mm-hmm. She needed us. They didn't show up. I let them know. And now they're all uh, like mad at me for calling them out and being honest about it. And for me, it's been wonderful. I mean, the drama in my life has gone from a high level to a very low level. I don't have to answer their calls. I don't have to respond to the nonsense. And I'm a lot happier, at least in the near term. And I guess the question for your experts are, Is that a near-term thing or will it last? Or am I setting myself up for like some big problem in my life emotionally in the next decade or something? Joey, how many siblings do you have? Eight. Eight. Large family. So your mom is gone and now you're uh, no longer connected with all of these siblings. Um, So... um that that's complicated because right now you're expressing it; it's freeing. But obviously, you would like to have a relationship with them, yes? If things could be done, not really. No, no, because <laughs> okay. what they I le- evaluate the the sort of return on investment, mm-hmm. if you will, of my right. time spent and what I get back out of it. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty good. I'm pretty happy because what I would get out of it is conflict and trauma. Right. And uh, no thanks. Right. Happier without them. Joey, uh, thank you for calling and sharing that. Uh, What do you think about this, Uh, Louisa? I think this is an example where boundaries actually worked Mm -hmm. for him. So if we're setting boundaries and it's for ourselves, it sounds like it's uh, led to an improvement in overall well-being for him. He sounds happy. He sounds very happy. So (laughs) I would say keep doing what you're doing as long as it's working for you and you feel like like you said your return on investment Mm -hmm. is is where you want it. And um, this is an example of boundaries being very successful, it sounds like. Right. Chanel? I would agree. And I think it was really meaningful that you asked, are you setting yourself up for something later in decades? I think he's thinking about that. Yeah, yeah that that's that's really meaningful. And that's what I try to work on with my clients. I, I think an important question is to think about, you know, as you get older, as you're aging, do you have people around you that are supportive and loving and that will care for you? 
as long as you're in, integrated into some kind of community where you have companionship, friendship, meaningful relationships, then it sounds like you're on a path that is best suited for you and for what you need for your health. Uh, let's take a phone call from St. Paul. Uh, this is Matt on the phone. Uh, Matt, what questions do you have for the two therapists we're talking uh, to today about family drama? Hey, thanks for taking my call. So I have a question for both Larissa and Chanel. So you guys hear the hardest parts of people's lives every day. What do you do for your own self-care? And then assuming you both have partners because you're beautiful women, are your partners supportive of you? (laughs) So I've done a talk show in the past, Matt, about uh, uh, mental health professionals uh, seeking uh, mental health professionals, you know, therapists having therapists. So uh, can you share what do you do, uh, Louisa, as you know, the founder of, of therapies uh, for your own self care? Sure. So it is very important to have supportive partners. So thank you for that. Um, and it I would say for self care, it's really important that we all each have our individual things that we do. But we also try to take retreats and time off together. We have um, fun conversations, we like to laugh. Um, Laugh is super therapeutic for us. But for me, it could mean like doing a puzzle. It could mean um, going on a walk. It could mean having a really good conversation. So deliberately making time to take your mind to something that brings you joy. Absolutely. And and Chanel, uh, self-care for you as a therapist. Um, The clinic itself has a lot of self-care, which you you don't hear that often from therapists. Um, What do you mean? A lot of... Some places can be more about kind of getting people through. And our when you asked Larissa about building a building a clinic and what made her build a clinic, she has like collected the most supportive, amazing, wonderful people at the clinic. And mm-hmm. so just being in the setting is super supportive and therapeutic. We all have really good friendships. We have really good like support of each other. Um, so within the clinic itself, there's self-care. We also bring in like massage therapists to come in and take care of each other. We do retreats, like Larissa said. Um, so we have support within the work that we do because we all know how hard the work is. But then also for myself individually, I'm, I need a lot of time alone to recharge. Mm-hmm. So I'll read. I'm that way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'll sleep. I sleep a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, I love animals. I have horses, so I, I do not have horses. <laughs> well, maybe but, you should come out. Maybe, and try maybe it. I should hang. I with actually you. <laughs> do equine therapy too with uh, people using e- th- horses for mental health. So I spend mm-hmm. time with horses. I like to travel. Um, as far as a supportive partner, I do have somebody in my life that is very, very supportive of me. Mm-hmm. Um, but I would say my support comes a lot from the women that are around me. So surround yourself with people who build you up as well. Absolutely. Okay, so to our listeners, we're out of time this hour, but I'm going to let you know, we will definitely revisit uh, this conversation about improving relationships, particularly family relationships in the next couple of months, and we will take more of your calls. I want to thank our guests today. Uh, Thank you for sharing so much wonderful advice. I appreciate you. Larissa Hooper, the founder of Therapies Counseling in St. Paul, a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a licensed alcohol and drug counselor and Chanel Winnell, also with Therapies Counseling, a licensed marriage and family therapist who specializes in trauma, neglect, and abuse. Uh, Earlier in the hour, we were talking with Nedra Glover-Tawab, a therapist in Charlotte, North Carolina, who is the author of the best-selling book, 
Set Boundaries, Find Peace. Her second book is out now. It's called Drama Free, A Guide to Managing Unhealthy Family Relationships. That was published this year. All right. Today's conversation was produced by Maya Beckstrom. Take care of yourself, everybody. We'll talk again tomorrow morning at 9. Thanks for listening to a recording of my live radio show on NPR News. A reminder that if you want to catch my show in real time, tune in and call in weekdays at 9 a.m.